Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the New European Podcast. The dulcet northern tones of Richard Porritt are on holiday. The dulcet northern tones of Steve Anglesey are here instead. Uh, in a minute, I'll be talking to Jerry Scott about Alex Jones, Twitter and all of that. But first, I'm joined by the New European editor, Matt Kelly. Uh, we're going to discuss this week's fantastic issue of the New European. It's a dig for Brexit special. Before we get into that, um, I don't know if you've noticed, Matt, but Boris Johnson appears to have kicked off his Conservative leadership campaign in quite a bizarre way. What do you, what do you mm. make of what Boris Johnson is up to? Well, I, so my theory on the on the Telegraph column is that, and and you'll have to hear me out on this because it's it may not sound the way it's going, but I don't think he writes this stuff with any great aforethought or intent. He gets 5,000 quid a column from the Daily Telegraph. And he's in the past, he's written about how it takes him about an hour and a half to do each mm. one. He sort of boasted about the easy money it is. And he, you know, I write columns, you write columns. 90 minutes to write a thousand words is going it, you know. So yeah. you don't, there's not a lot of reworking going on. So I think he sits there, bashes it out, hits send, and then forgets all about it and was probably quite astonished at the reaction and uh, probably hadn't even remembered what he'd, the, the ghastly insult he'd made in the first place. All of which may sound like I'm trying to excuse it, but actually it makes it all the more worse that this is the character <laughs> of the man who wants to be Prime Minister. You know, a guy who is so blasé, so casual, so thoughtless about really offensive and damaging, not just offensive and damaging, inflammatory things that give credence and and a green light to to far-right fascists to go around insulting uh, fellow British citizens just because of what they choose or choose not to wear. You know, it is absolutely beyond the pale. But hey-ho, it's Boris. So everybody says, well, it's Boris being Boris. You know, where do you draw that line? Was Hitler just being Hitler? You know, I mean, (laughs) at what point does that excuse stop being relevant? Um, well, he's been backed by Nigel Farage and Katie Hopkins ah. and Jacob Rees-Mogg, hasn't he? So there must oh, well. be there must be something Sorry. to what he said. Forget all that. Then. Um, Sorry, I didn't realise they were on his side. I mean, the argument from from Boris Johnson and and he, he's made it clear he's not going to apologise for mm. saying these things is that he was opening up a debate about Burke as he just wanted to open that up, but he mm. didn't do that, did he? Really, he just told jokes about yeah. letterboxes and and, it was offensive. and bank just robbers. Absolutely offensive. And it's like when I remember, um, you know, you're a similar vintage to me a bit younger but do you remember when 
Love Thy Neighbour was on in the 1970s. And I remember people used to defend that. The the writers were from Manchester. And they used to say, well, we're talking about, you know, at least we're talking about racial issues. And they weren't really. It was just an excuse to have the worst kind of racial insults on on TV. Do you think Boris Johnson is actually a racist? And if he is a racist, do you think that's any hindrance to him becoming the Prime Minister of... Britain in 2018. Well, I mean, you've got to examine what does racism mean? And I think if you think that racism is a belief that people are fundamentally different based on on where they were born, what religion they were born into or subscribed to, um, the colour of their skin, then I think the language Boris Johnson uses, the the way he expresses himself, not just once, consistently... Mm would say with absolute certainty that he is racist. Because even if you, you, you could say with the, best, uh, with the best view of it that he was some sort of benign racist, if that exists, you <laughs> yeah. know, if that exists. But he, he is clearly a man who sees people divided in this world based on their background and their beliefs and and their colour as that well to yeah, me, yeah. that to me is the definition of racism the guy who talks about watermelon smiles piccaninnies the guy who talks about women dressing as letterboxes you know if that's not racist then what is yeah sure and a lot of people have made the connection haven't they that Boris Johnson had this secret meeting with Steve Bannon and now they are saying, well, this is, you know, this this is out of the Steve Bannon yeah. playbook. Steve Bannon, of course, who said, let them call you racist. Where, where it is a badge of honour. Where it is a badge of honour. And, you know, Alex Jones, who I'm going to be talking about with Jerry later on, has, has sort of established this thing, hasn't he? Uh, 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 and, and it's a Bannon thing too of say something outrageous and indefensible uh, then say you're just opening up a debate about that thing. Mm-hmm. Then say anyone who disagrees with you is a really wet liberal. Mm-hmm. Then say, look at these terrible people who've said that. I'm horrible for saying this. And yeah. I'm, I'm, my yeah. opinion I'm is being swallowed yeah. and persecuted. Where's your freedom of speech now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think this is part of a, a plan that he's now adopted? Do you think Bannon mm-hmm. put something like this in his head, even if he did just bash it out? Oh, well, I don't, I th- Bannon's not a guy who bashes stuff out. I mean, Bannon's no, a certain... No, Boris, yeah, yeah. Bannon is think, certified. What, do you, think, lunatic. do you think Bannon planted the seed is what I'm without saying? Without doubt, without doubt. I mean, I think they're two very different fish. Bannon, I think, is a certified lunatic, but a very thoughtful one. And has these wild theories about us going through a phase of of destruction, of planetary destruction, yes, yes. and of society being broken down. And that this is now where we're at. We're at a, in, a, in a real deep, profound civil war. Society must be broken down and then rebuilt in, in the image that he... He believes in that. That is literally what he he thinks we're going through, and he subscribes to this mad book about you know the fourth turning of yeah, this yeah. and the other. I mean, it's pure kind of wacko, you know, barking stuff. But and I think, by the way, even Trump sort of saw through that after a while, you know, <laughs> and started taking the Mickey out of him, and, and then realised that he was essentially a madman. But then you hear about people like Raheem Kassam who is the, the former Breitbart editor, yes. who was unbelievably on uh, Radio 4 Today programme, mm-hmm. um, defending Tommy Robinson the other day. Uh, incredible. And not even described as the Breitbart guy, but just a former UKIP official. You know what I mean? Unbelievable. A real far-right nut job. And Raheem Kassam 
will sit there and do exactly what you've just said. This whole process of snowflake cook, you know, and oh no, no, it's it's only free speech. What you're crying about, yeah. and this whole cycle comes through. Now the reason Kassam is interesting is that Kassam is the direct link to Nigel Farage. So, and the region for Farage is interesting is that Farage is now seen as the pivot point in that in that right wing sentiment in the UK yes. that Boris believes the Tories need to reclaim to get power. So there is a direct lineage from Steve Bannon, ultra nutcase, right through to Boris Johnson. The fact that they meet, I think, is the least surprising news of the of, of the week. You know, they mm. are spiritual brothers. They've both got the same goal, but possibly from different perspectives. But they are they are joined at the hip in terms of of, of how to get to fulfil their ideology. Yes, I mean it is truly uh, it is truly scary stuff. It's fairly horrible having Boris Johnson uh, bounce back onto the uh, into, into the, the, the sort of the, the front front and centre yeah. just when we thought we'd got rid of him. Yeah. Um, and you know, what other people are saying is is he deflecting from the fact that Brexit is a, clearly a disaster yeah. that he is authored and the campaign that he was the co-chair of has been found to have done all yeah. these terrible things, and he's now going, oh look over there. Yeah. Uh, at these uh, at these women with burkas. Well, I'm sure, unfortunately, we will talk more about Boris Johnson um, as the weeks go on. Let's talk about this issue of the New European, which came out uh, came out on Thursday, Friday uh, today. We would yep. do the podcast, and you're listening to it now. Um, it's a terrific issue. It's themed around this dig for Brexit uh, kind of. Uh, stuff we'll talk about Gavin Estler's piece later on, but yeah. just talk to me about the um, the, the ideas that are expressed uh, by James Ball and other yeah. people in this dig for Brexit, stockpiling food uh, yeah. special issue of the New European. Well, it was. It, I mean, it was impossible to to not think of the of the war really, of World War Two and rationing and all of this business when. You know, Theresa May said, yes, of course, we're working out, you know, whether we need to stockpile food and all of this business. You know, it felt like, yes, you know, invoking the kind of blitz spirit. And there is that famous, famous poster, Dig for Victory, you know, which if you're of a certain age, you'll be familiar to you. So the idea of, of Dig for Brexit seemed, seemed rather funny at the time. And we've, and we've got this great poster in the middle of our paper with, I think, in fact, you came up with the with the sub subject, wasn't it, which was make Britain rake again. No, I can't think it was. I don't think it was me. It might have been Chris Barker. Oh, maybe. was it? Okay, well, it might have been Gary Barker. Oh, Gary Barker, yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. our brilliant cartoonist. But yeah, so dig for Brexit. Theresa May sort of holding up a pathetic cauliflower, and the idea that you're going to have to grow your own food if we go through a, through a no deal. And yeah, so we've taken it in a sort of extreme, light-hearted way. But of course, you know, every week it gets closer and closer and closer. We had Liam Fox this week saying it's now odds on that we'll have yep. a no deal. And, well, we don't need to bore our readers about the catastrophic consequences of that. They know. But it is what is unbelievable is how this thing has gone from being an absolute absurd notion that just had to be there yes. as a kind of ridiculous, would-never-happen fallback position to now being odds on happening. Yes, and, and you just fear for fear for the country's future. You really do. You really do. I mean, there's a couple of things that I'd, I'd sort of wanted to highlight in the James Ball feature, which is really good, where he's sort of going through all these what things that happened in the 1940s, which might happen 
now and a couple of things that he says which are really interesting I think although it's a, it's a really great piece as it always is by James Bull is that one there is this um, uh, one there's this idea of the blitz spirit and everybody will come together once Brexit has happened and James says well people it's not going to happen is it first of all the blitz spirit is remembered with great fondness but obviously it was working class people who had to live near factories that were being bombed yeah. who really suffered whereas the I'm pretty sure they would have opted out had they got the exactly right okay <laughs> and, and and also he says well in a country that's already had eight years of austerity yeah. how are how is even more poverty and inability to yeah. get things going to be, and the reality is that it's going to lead to more social division and yeah. we are not going to all pull together yeah. because people are going to go I'm already being screwed yeah. now you're screwing me even more but and, you know what I mean not to repeat ourselves but you think then about Bannon and his mad theory about breaking down society this seems entirely in line with that you yes know, that's are, right are, are he, is it all coming true you know that that we will end up with civil disturbance, with great unhappiness, with a great divided nation, with a completely confused, bemused electorate wondering how the hell did that happen so quickly? How did we go from being, you know, from being actually moderately okay, going through eight years of austerity, feeling the pinch for sure, yeah. loads of domestic problems for sure, but still being a functional, uh, affluent, generally affluent world leader to be in an absolute car crash of a of a you know a bin of a country. Yeah, well, actually, Mitch Mitch Ben makes the same point in his column in this week's New European. He says, you know, we we got we are a mildly you know we oh, funny old Britain, mildly dysfunctional, bumbling through, and now we're heading for full on dystopia. You yeah, know, yeah. from d- dysfunctional to dystopia. The other thing that James Ball said, which is a great point, is that. The, the digging for victory. Now, I've spent a couple of weeks in France, and when I saw that we were talking about stockpiling food and all of this, I Did naturally you bring back loads of wine. I naturally expected <laughs> no, but I naturally expected to have a, to return to a country where the national newspapers were saying, "Bring it on! We'll grow all our own food, and it'll all yeah. be great, and yeah. we'll do it." And in fact, they're not doing that. Yeah. The Daily Telegraph are now obsessed with smart meters, I think it is, and why yeah. they're a scourge. The Sun are obsessed with should whether drugs should be criminalised or not <laughs> yeah. and the Daily Mail are obsessed with whether climate change is actually That's a right. thing despite the fact that it's the hottest That's summer right. on right. record everywhere yeah. in the world but they're saying it's not really a yeah. thing now climate change and um, and James Ball is, is sort of takes up this thing of the absurdity of digging for victory and he says that you know, dig for victory. It provided only a tiny amount of the food that people needed anyway. Mm. There are 22 million people more in the country now than they were, mm. and in those days, people had houses with gardens. Yeah. And now people yeah. live in cities in tiny flats, and there are no allotments, and yeah. there's a huge waiting list. There's a waiting list of 40 years in many council areas to get an allotment. Uh, but in 40 years, we'll be back in Europe. Well, just just when you get your allotment, we'll be yeah. voted. Just right. It's I, I, nuts, yeah. I was been studying the. Uh, I've been studying what some of the Brexiteers have been saying about this, and, and you know, they are the ones, the, the sort of the mad ones who lurk on Twitter and in the comments and stuff like that. I really liked uh, Jeffrey uh, Godfrey Bloom, the yeah. UKIP MEP. He said, he, "I don't want any." puffy avocados in my sarnies anyway <laughs> ham and beef with english mustard will do me um and then this one at cheese sarnie 321 was my favorite one on twitter 
he went, we've got, he said, we've got farmers who grow crops, we've got animals for slaughters, we've got bakers and butchers, no problem. We have loads of wild rabbits, very nice. Grow your own, stop being lazy, walk to work, car share, or ride your bike. Do you know what it's going to be like, the Britain of like 10 years time? It'll be like, you know, with Nell and I. When they go into the pub, like, are you the poacher? Yes, exactly. You know, and there's yeah. a fella got an eel or a yeah. rabbit under his coat. Going to whack the eel on yeah. the... Yeah, we'll all be stood there going, we've, we've left Europe by mistake. By mistake, yeah. <laughs> I did think, I saw Nadine Dorries tweeting that she every night she now prepares a shallow bowl of water and a saucer of dog food, and I was really worried. Now, it turns <laughs> is out that, that she is just feeding her local hedgehogs right but in five years time yeah. once we're out you know that'll be dinner those spiky scroungers <laughs> doing it all of that feeding off feeding office um it's a fantastic issue of the new european as i've already said the, the, that theme is you've really got to, you've got to say that because you work for it oh yeah and you pay my wages so this is great yeah um but you should really read it one thing the, the, the other thing or the last thing i wanted to highlight before we let you go is Gavin Esler yes. has, has written for us this yeah, week. Yeah. And it sort of ties in with a general trend, doesn't it? Deborah Meaden, I've seen, is getting a load of grief uh, on social media because she has now said we shouldn't leave uh, Europe and people yeah. are saying, well, you didn't. You said we should just get on with it a while yeah, ago. And yeah. she said, well, now I ex- have realised the extent of lies, illegal activity, yeah. the effect that the prospects of no deal is already having on people's lives. Yeah. Gary Lineker has now said, yeah. you know, he said we should get on with it, didn't yeah. he, initially, and now he said we should have a people's yes. vote. And Gavin Nessler is saying much the same thing. Um, when the facts change, yeah. rational people change their minds. Do you think this is just people like Deborah Meaden and Gary Lineker and Gavin Esler in our bubble? Well, I, I would yeah. aspire to their bubble, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm in my own slightly yeah. worse bubble. Yeah. Or do you think ordinary people are thinking this as well now? So, well, that's, I think that's an excellent an excellent question, and that is the the single most pertinent question of our time, really, because I suspect that you, could, you can divide... a most of the population into some clear groups you've got people who are uh who who don't want to uh admit that they may have made a mistake and uh quite understandably have kind of entrenched themselves in their position and they're the guys that are saying just get on with it it'll be fine you know without paying any kind of heed to to rational argument you've got people who actually i think look forward to chaos as well i don't think people talk about this enough i think there's a big constituency of people who think well you know what i'm, I'm not doing i haven't got that much to lose i see all those big right. wigs in westminster yeah, yeah. and all the guys two miles away in their two million quid houses yeah. well you know how bad can it be for me bring it on let's see what happens you know and some people do enjoy the excitement of of, of my God, you know, what's going to happen? Watching the it's world be, burn, the watch Joker. It burn, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we, and people don't really talk about that group so much. Then you've got people who are just utterly bored, and I would suggest this is the biggest constituency. Yes. People who are just so bored of the matter that they're not paying attention anymore. And that, again, totally understandable, but deeply regrettable. And then I think it would be utterly remarkable if there wasn't a big group of people who, as the drip feed of bad successive news and commentary as you've just described comes out aren't reflecting themselves and saying do you know what we have been sold a pup here mm. and 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 we'll be coming around to that basic instinct that you know if you have got an opportunity to back out of a bad corner then take it you know you don't have to keep walking down that dark alley yeah um, 
take the opportunity, turn around, walk out. As we've said many times before, the tragedy of this whole thing is that there is no way to go back to to, to uh, June the 22nd, 2016. We can't go back to there. The damage has been done. The nation is, is profoundly affected, both internally and on a global uh, stage. So we've done harm. We're now in, the question now is, is what's the least damaging future we can put in front of ourselves? Yes, indeed. Um, so that's a very long winded way of saying I've got no idea, but yeah. I, I really hope. And you know what? The only way we'll find out is if there is what I think now is the most sensible uh, resolution to this, if there is a second vote. Yes. And, and, and all of the people who've been whining on about people who hate democracy and all of this business accept that they should surrender to the view of the British public, now a bit better informed, after a bit more of a reasoned campaign, more context could make a decision that whether we win or we lose, we could at least stand by as yeah. a nation that could bring us back together and I you know and I think that offers some people who may be horrified by the way that this has been treated and maybe they blame Theresa May and maybe they blame Michelle Barnier and maybe they see that it's you know the thing that they thought it was going to be it's not like it said in the brochure as Kevin Keegan once said about managing Newcastle but <laughs> at least that gives them a little polite way out doesn't yeah, it yeah. of going actually yeah. you know in a secret ballot I changed uh, yeah. my mind personally I think it might take somebody and I was going to ask you who you think it might be somebody from the political side somebody who was a big lever yeah a vocal lever to go so, actually do you know the guy I think's got the potential to do it is Philip Hammond you know, well, he was a Remainer, wasn't he? Was he a but Remainer. a light Remainer. Yeah, but but if Hammond has played ball, right? Yeah. And he, he seems like a guy with a conscience, and he's clearly sensible. Um, and and Hammond has played ball with this whole idea, but if he stood up and said, you know what, I'm going to have to resign here because duty, right. duty says to me that we are heading for a car crash, and, and people need to understand that this is not a question anymore this is a, a reality and this needs to be stopped yes. i just simply cannot sleep anymore and i can't go through with this in good conscience that could have a ha, that could definitely have a, a big effect i think you, you're right though i mean be much better if he was a, a brexiteer to pull people around yeah 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 but you just can't i just can't see where that's going to come from you know i don't know the other I, guy who make a big difference is corbyn of course but yeah. it ain't gonna happen is yeah it? yeah um I just, I think, down because of his naked ambition, I just wonder whether whether one day we'll see Michael Gove oh, going. No, I have changed, no, but if he does, I've slightly changed my mind on this. If he does, I'm voting Brexit. <laughs> no, wherever that guy is, you you want to be on the other side of the room. There's no way. No, this is very true. If that, if, if Gove turns to remain, yeah. right, my this newspaper becomes the new Brexit. <laughs> We're flipping. We are pivoting. We're going. Okay, don't do it, Govey. That was Matt Kelly, the editor of The New European. I will be back shortly with Jerry Scott and the Brexiteer of the Week. Brexiteer of the Week. 
And now our thoughts turn to the Brexiteer of the Week. It looks slightly different in print this week. You might notice if you've picked up uh, the New European, my Brex Factor page looks a little bit uh, different. We've had a little remix. Brexiteer of the Week, still very much the focus of it, though. And uh, kicking us off this week is Liam Fox. Um, I was studying an article by Liam Fox uh, in which he was castigating the EU's negotiators for what he said was their intransigence, which was pushing us towards a no-deal Brexit. And Liam Fox said, the theological obsession of the unelected is to take priority over the economic well-being of the people of Europe. Mm, The unelected are their thoughts uh, taking priority over economic well-being of the people of Europe. I I wonder what that reminds me of. It'll it'll come to me anyway. Uh, Next, I want to talk about Chris Philp. He is a Tory MP. He's a multi-millionaire, self-made man. Uh, He is a born-again Brexiteer. Back remained during the referendum campaign when he thought David Cameron was likely to stay as the Prime Minister. After the referendum campaign, David Cameron left and now he started calling the EU a protectionist racket. And he tweeted this week, It's fantastic that plastic bag use in large supermarkets is down 86% uh, since uh, the 5p charge was introduced in 2015. A great example of a simple conservative policy that has hugely helped the environment. Well done, Chris Phil. It's a shame that you forgot to mention that this simple conservative policy is the direct result of the EU Directive 2015-720, which was passed three years ago and had, by law, EU law, to come into force uh, by the end of November. But, you know, maybe once we're out of the EU, the plastic bags... uh, Free plastic bags for all will return. Uh, shout out to Aaron Banks, uh, Comrade Banksky. Now, after Chukaramuna tweeted a bar chart showing GDP growth in each of the G7 countries, uh, by the way, the UK is the only member of the G7 whose growth slowed in 2017, Leave EU's benefactor replied to Chukaramuna, Canada, the USA and Japan aren't in the G7, dopey. Now, Mm, slightly orcs, isn't it? Because Canada, the USA and Japan are all in the G7. One country that isn't is one that's very close to Banksy's heart, Russia. And before you start, it's close to his heart because he's married to a lovely Russian lady and not for the nasty reasons that you think. Um, Aaron Banks later added, uh, lol, I know what the G7 is, I meant the EU. Now, if only I knew what the Russian was for Jimmy Hill and Chinny Reckon. But the Brexiteer of the week this week is Nigel Farage. He's turned into a lovely little snowflake. Having declared in June, I never promised that Brexit would be a huge success and everyone would be better off, the nicotine-stained manfrog told listeners to his LBC radio show that Brexit could mean the lowering of standards from what we have in the shops and it could be bad news for British farmers. And then he was told that we were facing a shortage of veterinary surgeons, or veterinary surgeons even, after leaving the EU. And do you know what he said then? He said, well, if we need vets, we'll get vets to come and work in Britain. Yet another doom and gloom merchant who believes that more immigration is the answer to all our problems. Honestly, where do they get them from? Nigel Farage on his lily pad is the Brexiteer of the week. Now, before we talk about Alex Jones and uh, and Twitter, as a palate cleanser, uh, uh, first of all, I want to thank all of our listeners who made last week's uh, The New European Podcast our most listened to one yet. I'm not going to get paranoid about the fact that I wasn't on this podcast and then it, it immediately became 
really successful. Um, but I would also like to say thank you to the increasing number of people who are supporting the work of the New European by contributing to our crowdfunder on SteadyHQ.com. Basically, the deal is that you can contribute six euros a month or nine euros a month or 25 euros a month. You, you help us keep going, frankly. Uh, you get a varying degree of merchandise at each of those levels. There are more details of all the stuff that you can get, uh, T-shirts, prints, tote bags, all that kind of stuff, at uh, steadyhq.com slash en slash the new European. steadyhq.com slash en slash the new European. To be fair, you can just go to steadyhq.com and search for us there. If you do contribute to us and become one of the lovely people who do uh, help safeguard the, the future of the new European and the work that we're doing to fight Brexit, we are going to read your name out on this podcast and we're going to put it in the print edition too. Um, Jerry Scott is with me. Hello, hello, Jerry. Hello, hello. You've got some lovely new subscribers there. I do. We've got Greg Kane, Hugo Stolkin, Sheila Sadler, Fiona Urquhart, Ray French, Piers Haggard, Helen Fisher, Jamie McMillan, Gavin Budge, and Anne Scurfield. And I have got Claire Palmer, Robin Meltzer, Oliver Stotter. Uh, Eric Beston, Chris Kenny, Glyn Martin, and I hope I'm just going to say this right, Enrique Manuel Boo. Uh, Enrique Manuel Boo. Uh, so uh, thank you to uh, to all of you. Uh, you are uh, you are helping uh, support our work, and uh, and we love you very much, don't we, Jerry? Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. We do. Somebody I do not love is Alex Jones. He's not my favourite. He is. I don't know you. Dear New European listener, you might be cosseted from this man. He, he's how, how would one describe Alex Jones, Jerry Scott? Um, angry man shouting at a cloud. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah, he's this is this often is, stripped to the waist, isn't he? Uh, yes, <laughs> which is scarring for anyone that's uh, that's is. ever involved in it. Like this is this is the guy behind Infowars. Um, yes, who's famously said that water is making frogs gay and. Well, it is, isn't it? Well, frankly, have you seen the frogs around here? Yeah. <laughs> um, Camp frogs. <laughs> and uh, the Sandy Hook parents oh. faked the whole thing and that the kids were crisis actors. This, this, that's a particularly horrible one and he's currently fighting them in court. Yes, he um, is. Which is, it's just such a horrible case because his his listeners have then subjected these poor, poor parents to a torrent of harassment and abuse um, so much they had to go into hiding. Yes, yes. This, um, guy, this this kid, Noah Posner, who was a six-year-old mm-hmm. who was killed at Sandy Hook, and there were 20 kids killed at Sandy Hook, and they were between six and seven years old. Yeah. They, were, they were shot to death. Um, uh, uh, they've had to move seven times in five years um, to, to evade harassment from people who believe that uh, what Alex Jones believes, which is that the shooting never happened. It's quite remarkable. It is. I mean, last year he tweeted that Muslims in England were demanding the Queen either convert to Islam or leave the country. Yeah. In 2013, he said that um, Barack Obama was the global head of Al-Qaeda and later accused him of arming IS. It's just conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. But he's got this massive following. Yes, he does, yeah. He's got about 800,000 followers on Twitter, I believe, yeah. which, which we will return to in a minute. I mean, he, he was also Pizzagate. He was involved in that, yeah. which was a thing where the alt-right said that Hillary Clinton was running a 
paedophile ring from a pizza joint in Washington DC mm. and one of these deluded guys actually turned up there with a with a, an assault rifle um uh, and and you might have seen him a couple of weeks ago uh, I think it was one of these ones where he might have been stripped to the waist but I saw he was talking about Robert Mueller who's obviously the special uh, prosecutor in in the, the the Russian collusion stuff and he was screaming at him you are a demon I will take you down or I'll die trying Mm -hmm. you're gonna get it or I'm gonna die trying bitch absolutely charming so so, you know I mean he appears to be a man who is on the on the brink he's on the edge he's on the brink maybe he's on more than brain force plus maybe he takes a bit more brain force plus than is normal in his (laughs) coffee um why are we normally we just ignore him as one of these sort of grotesque people but what what's happened this week that has brought him front and center what are your thoughts about this well so he's been banned by a load of different platforms online you've got mailchimp uh youtube facebook spotify apple linkedin weirdly pinterest where people tend to go for their interior design tips yeah, yeah. and even more weirdly you porn have banned him as well i don't want to know what was on there for alex okay. jones but they've banned him but one platform who has not banned him is twitter yes and um jack uh, dorsey ceo of twitter has come out with a long old thread about why they haven't. A long old thread of mealy mouth shit. To it be really fair, is, isn't it? yeah. About why they haven't banned him, and um, it's it's caused a lot of uproar, quite rightly, I think, because this is Twitter actively choosing to ignore um, Alex Jones's long history of hate and harassment. I think. Yes. Um, you know, this content is built around far right extremism and conspiracy theories. Um, his shows are loaded with Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, homophobia, sexism, all the all the isms that are horrible. Um, and I think that Jack framing this as a purely political thing, which he has, is deliberately misconstruing the issue. Mm. It's um, it suggests that political viewpoints and unsourced lies, which is what Infowars is, is made up. Um, that are made up for political reasoning are the same thing, and that's just not true. Um, and his suggestion on how oh, it was maddening on how this should be tackled was um, yes. it should be left in the hands of journalists rather than Twitter staff. Yes, he so he says accounts like Jones's can often sensationalise issue and spread unsubstantiated rumours, so it's critical that journalists document, validate and refute such information directly. Ah, journalists, those uh, those people that Alex Jones followers love to listen to, yeah. <laughs> famously. But Frank, you know, you're a journalist, yep. I am I, a journalist, I, I am, <laughs> laughingly, I've been put in charge of journalists, <laughs> um, and to be fair, journalists have enough to do in their daily jobs without being asked to do what told that they part of their jobs are to fact check crackpots yeah so there's a couple of parts to this for me the first part is that journalists are fact checking these things and pushing back on them yes um but those like i say those followers of alex jones one don't tend to believe it it's all part of a mainstream media conspiracy theory mm. but also on the other hand they all the the pushbacks don't always get to them because the internet and these platforms have built these you know, um, algorithms by which we're all in our own bubble. Yeah. So they often don't even reach them. But the other part of it is that not only does Twitter want its content to be free because it doesn't pay anyone, obviously, 
it also wants journalists to fact check and push back against this fake news that inevitably is prolific on the platform when there are traditional news organisations who invest heavily in fact-checking and truthful reporting, where Twitter just wants it for free. Yeah. Um, Facebook, Twitter and the others, they invest little to nothing in journalism and Infowars is what we end up with as a consequence. Um, So now to ask reputable journalists to do it, do the job that they should be doing for free is a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a disgrace. I, I, I think I, I read these this string of tweets with a with a growing sense of um, of disappointment and then horror and then anger. Um, you know, he began Jack Dorsey by sort of saying, or oh, it's talking about the right to free speech and the First Amendment and all of this. And, and you know, there is, the, of course, there's the right to free speech, but it, the, the right to free speech and being against censorship does not mean that it, it, you automatically have to publish these revolting lies no, on, your, no. on your platform. That is a choice that Jack Dorsey and Jack Dorsey now alone is taking because everybody else is getting out of the the game of publishing Alex Jones's lies and misinformation and that is because Alex Jones is you know one of the Sandy Hook parents or two of the Sandy Hook parents are now taking Alex Jones to court in a trial that will set precedent and and you know potentially will will put infowars and their lies and misinformation out of business and and rightly so and this free speech thing is a ridiculous argument because you know, um, Jones still has his website, he still has his app, he still has his podcast. No, no one is yep. kind of restricted from listening to Alex Jones if they really want to. God knows why they would, but plenty do. Um, it's not a case of censorship and restricting free speech. And it's hard for me to believe that whilst every other major tech company found that Alex Jones has violated their policies, that Twitter didn't. Yes, that's right. I mean, the reaction from from Infowars has been predictable, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking to with with Matt about this earlier on in the in the in the podcast, but we, we're back to it again. And the pattern of these people is that you say something outrageous and offensive and untrue, people complain or they react to it in a way that Facebook and YouTube have belatedly done by banning them. Mm-hmm. And now Alex Jones. Uh, as uh, following the Steve Bannon sort of patented uh, playbook, uh, is positioning himself as the victim of censorship and all these bleeding hearts and uh, cooks and snowflakes yeah, are all out to get him and uh, and he's mobilising his base around that. And they are crying censorship, but in the, their own terms of, of service, on their the Infowars website, it says... It is not censorship if you violate the rules and your post is deleted and they tell you that if you continually break the rules, you're going to be excluded from the, the service. Oh, the irony. The yeah. irony, the but, irony. But they're not really big on this kind of thing, are they? No. Um, One of my favourite, I think, um, Alex Jones anecdotes is that his own attorneys have argued in court as a defence that no reasonable person would believe what he says. Which, right, okay. which, which, yeah, I agree. I agree with his attorneys. No reasonable person would believe what he says, but plenty of unreasonable people do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, it's just hard to know where to, to, to sort of unpick this kind of stuff. Um, I, was, I, I think one of, the, one of the other disappointing things in the Jack Dorsey string is where he says... 
he sort of well, he sort of says, you know, we're not going to take one-off actions to make us feel good, but if you give us the proof that you know, if journalists give us the proof that that he's he's breaking the rules of Twitter, then uh, and he's telling lies, then we will take action. And there's a, a tweet; it's still in Alex Jones's timeline. It's from about four years ago. I've reported it. Millions of other people have probably, or thousands of other people have probably reported it, where he he has tweeted that the FBI have said that no one died at Sandy Hook. That's a lie. It's a sick lie. It's provably wrong. He's not been removed. He's not been suspended for it. And, you know, uh, and, uh, and this, to me, says an awful lot about Jack Dorsey and Twitter. It says even more about them than it says about Alex Jones, uh, who we've all made our minds up about. And Twitter has just become a, you know, a, 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 a well, Kara Swisher has said this in the New York Times on, on Thursday. It's become a cesspool, and it's, he's got very little intention of truly cleaning it up. Yeah. Um, what do we do about Twitter now? Is it time to move on from Twitter? Oh, it's a really bad look for Twitter, this, because I think, you know, in we, we've all seen the good times of Twitter and it's, uh, in its kind of greatness, but it is a cesspit now. Um, it's just people shouting at each other now, isn't it? It's just people shouting at each other, being nasty and vile and there is no reason to bait. It's, um, it's, I think it's very difficult to be on Twitter now and have any type of um, opinion because it's so polarised. Um, and I think people are going to start kind of voting with their feet and, and leaving, kind of like they've done with Facebook a bit. Um, young people aren't that interested in Facebook anymore. Um, and I think the next one to go will be Twitter. And how long have you been on Twitter? Oh, I would say, how old am I now? I'm 25, and I reckon I got it when I went to uni. So I would have been 18, so seven years? So seven years. So I've probably been on for, well, I have been on for a bit longer than you. Um, Probably well over 10 years. Um, And uh, I've seen the fun go out of it. The truth is that, you know, part of what I do is journalism and some of it is the business of journalism and it is not really a great way to market your journalism anymore. It, it's, uh, it used to be a group of journalists talking to one another and uh, uh, and now, uh, you know, I don't really know what it is um, anymore. Um, I, I'm wondering whether some kind of sleeping giant style boycott of Twitter's advertisers is going to be the only thing that makes... <laughs> Somebody like Jack Dorsey um, change his mind. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I think I, I think that'd hit him where it hurts. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, but it's such a shame that it would have to come to that, and they can't just stand up and kind of do the right thing. You know, I'm not saying that other platforms have responded brilliantly to people like Alex Jones and Infowars. They haven't. It's been inconsistent, unreliable, and it's taken too long. But they've done something. Yeah. Whereas. Yeah, this look for Twitter is bad, and I, I do think it'll end up hitting them in advertisers. Um, it's just a shame it has to get to that stage. It really is. It really is. Uh, any more to say on the matter of Alex Jones and Twitter? Oh, just that it's a horrible situation, and we should all choose to ignore Alex Jones and Infowars as much as possible. It feels... Talk, even talking about him makes me feel like I should go off and have a shower, you know? <laughs> um, so... 
that's Alex Jones. That that's Twitter. That that is kind of the the end of this week's New European podcast. Because of what we've just said, I don't think we are going to do what we usually do, which is to read out all our Twitter handles <laughs> and, and invite people to interact with us on Twitter. But but please do um, like the the New European on Facebook and join our. Uh, new European Facebook readers group and of course you know people can what should people do in terms of reviews and stuff like that they should definitely leave us a review because it helps more people find the podcast which is obviously the whole idea Um, give us a rating hopefully a five star one that's what we like Um, and tell your friends please do tell your friends and as I say last week's podcast our most listened to podcast ever thank you very very much for all of your support I will not be here next week so the ratings will rise again Jerry Scott will be back Richard Porritt will be back look after yourselves avoid Twitter and keep resisting Brexit here you go It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.